So Pawnee today, why did I say it like that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Pawnee today made its first. Wow. It's like, you know, you go right up to, you know, platform nine and three quarters, expecting to go through the wall. You just hit the wall. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Parks and Rewatch. I'm your host, Joe. And I'm Joy. And today, we officially start season two of our own show and season two of Parks and Recreation. Today, our episode of the day is season two, episode one, Pawnee Zoo. In this episode, as part of her ongoing zoo promotions, Leslie holds a wedding at the Pawnee Zoo for two penguins named Tux and Flipper. She doesn't realize that both of the penguins are male, which accidentally sets off a chain reaction of events. Pawnee's gay community uplift Leslie as a hero, inviting her to a party at a gay bar called The Bulge. Local morality watchdog Marsha Langman, however, protests the penguin wedding and threatens Leslie that if she does not annul the wedding, Marsha will call for her resignation. It's so cruel. Yeah, I I do love that we get introduced to Marcia in this episode. She starts off the fantastic tradition of Parks and Recreation for having really incredible villains for a show that's a lighthearted comedy like this. They do cast incredible villains. That is true. Yeah, love to hate him. And it's just such an interesting thing to me in my mind when actors portray characters that they know are going to be hated. You know, like this character is just designed to make you mad. So who do you think is an actor or actress who plays a great villain? Like who plays a great character that's designed to be hated? Does anyone come to mind? Yeah. Um, A while back I watched the TV series Once Upon a Time. Okay. And um, so it's a... It's a mashup of all kinds of different fairy tales all put together with an interesting weaving through storyline. And the initial villain, her name's Regina, you, like, oh my gosh, it is written like, oh my gosh, I hate Regina. How could she? She is such a jerk. And then the further you get into it, you start understanding the backstory of Regina and finding this weird soft spot. And then like, she has such a fascinating character arc throughout the entirety of the series that by the end you're rooting for her. Who do you (laughs) think has been a beautifully cast villain? I'm having a harder time coming up with somebody in my mind who is a villain who was cast just to be hated and not to be necessarily complex or nuanced. Um, My favorite nuanced and complex villain of all time is Boyd Crowder from Justified. Yeah, I have no clue who that is. It's such a good show. Really, really. Um, There was six seasons. It aired on FX a while ago. My sister's currently watching through it for the first time. I've watched through it several times. Um, The character of Boyd Crowder, played by Walton Goggins, is probably the best. I'm going to say he's the best villain that's ever been on a TV show. Uh, Fascinating. He just, there's so many intricacies to his performance, um, you know, where what his character is supposed to be like at face value, just a, a crazy Kentucky redneck. He brings so much more to it. And there's, there's so many rich layers to the character of Boyd Crowder and his chemistry with the hero, Raylan Givens, played by Timothy Oliphant, uh, is, it just sizzles. It's incredible. So he's my favorite complex villain as far as just straight up villains go yeah i don't know i I know i have people that that fill that role really well in my mind i'm just having a really hard time thinking of them on the spot so voldemort Voldemort. how could i not have thought of that first there you go freaking voldemort he who must not be named that i have now said his name at least three times (laughs) i ain't scared of you voldemort except i am but it's fine that's a great example though i mean can you imagine 
knowing who that character is and going to do a reading for to audition for that character like you're literally auditioning to be the worst person in the harry potter universe i know you call home and be like mom i got the role i'm gonna be lord voldemort (laughs) she's like good job honey i don't know yes that's a great example so back in season one we called this next segment episode behind the scenes and trivia Going forward, we're going to change that to deep dives, which will still cover episode behind the scenes trivia, things like that, but also opens it up for a little bit more freewheeling discussion. Basically, it's just where we're going to put all of our nerd notes and things that we decide to research the heck out of that may or may not have anything to do with anything, but seems like fun. Because it is. It is fun. And who knows? We might even change the name of the segment again. Yeah, you just got to you just got to hang with us. But don't worry, we'll let you know. To deep dive this episode, let's start out with the fact that Ron says he knows what the bulge is because it's behind his house. I I could not. I could not. Like, what? <laughs> Ron is telling us where his house is. Yes. So, obviously, we have several issues with this statement. The character of Ron is not fully formed yet. You know, it's the beginning of season two. We're on our way there with the characters and developing them. But we come to know Ron as an obsessively private person who prides himself on no one knowing where he lives. So if his house really was there, which I don't believe it is, I believe this just kind of gets retconned by default later. Um, But if his house really was there, why would he tell everyone? Why, I don't know. Why would he tell everyone in the parks department, even the general area of his house? But the larger problem, obviously, is why would Ron live next to a club with loud music and people coming and going all hours? That just makes right, no sense. When he's such a woodsman, I need my space, I need my privacy. Yeah. The character who we know from a later season wants to live inside a mountain is not yeah. someone who lives next to a nightclub. No. mm So the next thing I noticed was that Leslie says, nobody eat that cake when the boys at the Bulge send her a cake and a card. She says, nobody eat that cake. Tom, step into my office. And then they start walking towards her office. And just in the side of the shot as the camera is following Leslie and Tom, you see Jerry immediately pick up a knife to cut the cake. Yeah, that seems that seems normal. I just I liked that little detail. And this was the first time I've ever noticed that. I noticed when Leslie is mentioning Tom's shirt, you know, and she says, well, it's peach colored and it has a coiled snake on it. His response is, yeah, it was in a edition of Details magazine and it's awesome. I looked up Details because I didn't know if this was a real magazine or not or just a magazine that got made up for the show. It turns out it is a real magazine. Uh, It was a real magazine. It was an American monthly men's magazine that was published by Condé Nast. I'm just guessing that's how you say that because it's a bougie name and I've never heard it before. Somebody fancy. Condé Nast. It was founded in 1982 by Annie Flanders. Though primarily a magazine devoted to fashion and lifestyle, details also featured reports on relevant social and political issues. In November of 2015, Condé Nast announced that the magazine would cease publication with the issue of December 2015, January 2016. You were so sassy with how you just said that. (laughs) For those that aren't uh, watching us on Patreon right now, Joe did this neck thing where he just like went from side to side. He's like, Condé Nast. It's like a weird floating fancy neck. Okay. It's just like the bougie persona I pop into when I see a name like that. So bougie equals neck floating? I guess, yeah. Just fancy. No shoulder movement, just the neck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually did a deep dive into Details Magazine as well. And when I pulled it up on Wikipedia, um, the cover art that was on the page was from April 2009 with the article headline, how Jesus Can Save Your Career, above the magazine title. Is that the one that had A-Rod on the cover? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, how does all of this fit? It makes no sense to me, but it's fine. (laughs) It does seem like a magazine that Tom would read. It does, though. While we're talking about this interaction 
given the overall story arc of this episode, I just think that Leslie seems like a very questionable person to uplift as this progressive champion because of this interaction with Tom. The notion that wearing a specific color is an indication of one's sexuality seems ignorant and dated to me. Is it is it the color or is it his fashion trends that she was addressing? Uh, it seems like it was specific to the color, in at least in this interaction. And the show actually sort of backs up this notion when they get the t-shirts from the bulge and she holds it on Tom's polo and it's the same color. So that is true. That was brilliant. M- might be kind of a writing thing, but it definitely is like, okay, this person is the the new, you know, gay rights champion of Pawnee. Uh, all right. Eh, I don't know. I don't know. So outside of the Details Magazine uh, deep dive fail that I did, I did learn some other cool stuff about this episode. Um, it was the first episode to feature Chris Pratt in the title credits as regular cast member rather Yay! than guest. Proud of you, Chris. Uh, Wikipedia actually had some really interesting stuff about this episode. So they said the staff of Parks and Recreation sought to address more topical issues with the second season episodes. And the writers discussed with series co-creator Michael Schur possible topics for the season debut. They settled on same-sex marriage, which was an issue of particularly high debate at the time, especially in the L.A. area. During that discussion, one of the writers brought up the real-life pairing of Harry and Pepper. Like, this is based on real life. That shocked me. A pair of romantically involved male penguins at the San Fran Zoo. The real-life penguins had separated from each other shortly before the episode aired, which resulted in press coverage that the pair, quote-unquote, broke up. That's so interesting. If Out of all the things in this episode, if you had asked me what was based on a real-life situation, I would not have guessed the penguins. And here we are. The penguins. I do love that they started going this direction in season two of addressing more real world topics and situations because I think that's what led to like all of the politic storylines being brought in the campaigns and the those different positions and I think that that's one of the things that made the show unique and so I love that they chose to go that direction yeah because season one felt like they were focusing on the interpersonal relationships and Mm -hmm. as we have discussed that didn't quite go so well (laughs) um cough cough marlene and (laughs) so going topical is an interesting shift that i'm looking forward to seeing what that presents over the over the course of the season definitely so bonnie today had its debut in this episode um the tv show we come to love to hate as well some interesting things i noticed about it Pawnee Today was shot in 4-3. Yeah, the rest of the show is in 16-9, and I didn't notice it until it cut from the end of the Pawnee Today segment back to um, the rest of the story. And I was like, oh my gosh, they totally like blackbarred it in. I, I thought it would be super noticeable, but it wasn't. Obviously it wasn't because I never noticed it. Good catch, Joy. It was interesting to me that Tom calls it the big time and then the cutaway they went to or the 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 whip zoom they did um, <laughs> went right to the camera guy totally sitting there sleeping. So good. It's like that's what TV production feels like, though, to everybody else outside of the studio. It's like, oh, this is such a big deal. And then you walk into the studio and it's like, yep, OK, so we're just going to shoot this thing. And everyone's like, yeah, another day, another shoot. It's fine. <laughs> it's like. It's not as glamorous as it feels. Joan was confusing to me. Like, this is our introduction to Joan Calamezzo. And apparently she has kids. I don't remember that. Um, But she also seems way more conservative than the Joan of later seasons, which kind of took me for a spin. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. And I have I have an opinion about why this is the way that it is. I sort of mentioned it. So are you familiar with what a retcon is? No, tell me about it. A retcon, typically in a film or television series or comics or other fictional works, is a piece of new information that imposes a different interpretation on previously described events typically used to facilitate a dramatic plot shift or account for an inconsistency. Hmm. So I think throughout the series of Parks and Recreation, because certain characters did shift so dramatically over the course of the series, we're sort of given these implied retcons where they might not introduce a new detail, 
but it's heavily implied. I think that this would be a, a case for one of those implied retcons. I don't think Joan actually ever had kids. This was probably just they were going to introduce her very differently. And then they decided, no, we could go a direction with Joan that's wild and funny and basically make her like a parody of, you know, the eat, pray, love type of uh, of woman and, and stuff like that. They even do that in an episode. And, and so I think that they might have intended to introduce her as a more conservative normal newswoman here and then they go hard away from that and Mm, so i just don't think she had kids now it's time to discuss our likes and dislikes where we talk about what we liked about this episode and what we didn't like so much so joy what are your likes for this episode in the opening ron is in a polo i saw that and something was suddenly well with my soul i was like (laughs) oh my gosh ron is casual Ah, about time! Yes. So that was great. I love that Leslie just full-on commits to doing a rendition of the second verse of Parents Just Don't Understand by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the French Fresh French Prince. Wow. <laughs> mm, I and am the French struggling. press of Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> no, just say no to French press. Let me try that again. <laughs> I love that Leslie does a full-on rendition of the second verse of Parents Just Don't Understand by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Fun fact, Will Smith was the Fresh Prince. I was like, I don't know who these people are, so I'm just going to pick. It was Will Smith. That's crazy. Like the Will Smith we love and know and all of that. Usually people say it, know and love. I'm just really struggling with words today. It's <laughs> fine. So with their release of Parents Just Don't Understand, um, they actually won the first Grammy Award for Best Rap Performance. Wow. In 1989. Right? That's Super fascinating. Sweet. So I pulled out my bass guitar because... You know, why not? And I figured it out. In case you want to know, the cording behind it is just B, F sharp, and A. There Interesting. You go. Simple, late 80s, early 90s synthesizing. This is super random. Um, since we're on quarantine and all, um, we've been watching a lot of throwback childhood movies here. Sure. And we watched the Lindsay Lohan parent trap. Mm. And there's this one scene where Meredith Blake, who's, you know, the antagonist girlfriend that daddy's going to get married to. Oh, no, we have to not make this happen. (laughs) Meredith drives up in her super swanky convertible. And all you hear coming from the radio is, come on. And I've always wanted to know what song that's from. And it's from Parents Just Don't Understand. Oh, Joy, that's so good. I was so proud of myself when I figured that out. That part of the song played and I was like, I know what that is. This is like life resolution from my childhood. I have wondered what song that was, and now I have to wonder no more. Points awarded. Boom. And while we're here, she is also another great example of a character cast simply for the purpose of being a villain and to be hated. Well done. You just brought that full circle. Full circle, baby. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) I, I do have to note, though, that Though Leslie's effort is applaudable in in rapping, her rhythm is not great. Yeah, not great. I'm super glad Leslie brought a boombox for the bridal march, which was specifically Mendelssohn's wedding march. So that just felt like a very thoughtful detail. Yes. Like, this is a moment. The Bulge t-shirts, you kind of mentioned this already, but I love that it was the same exact tone as Tom's shirt, because that just brought the comedic, like, to that moment (laughs) of, like... Oh, really? Huh. Look at that. <laughs> and then Tom's Tom's comment back was, well, mine has a collar on it. <laughs> Obviously. Because that My makes bad. such a big difference. Um, I love the genericness of the discussion where Mark tried to ask Anne out again. <laughs> He's just like, hey, have you seen that documentary about food yet? And then Anne's like, no, I've heard it's really good. I want to see it. Mark, we should go together. Anne, what? Yeah, no. That would be like a date. Mark, say no more. It's like, can we, have you seen that documentary about food yet? (laughs) Was, what? Which one? There's so many of them. (laughs) But it's fine. You know, that documentary about food. Um, It makes me so happy that Leslie, just out of the blue, in a most honest Leslie moment when she and Anne were talking, and she's like, I want to invent a secret language that only we know. Like, (laughs) of course you do. And of course you would. And of course Anne would just suddenly go with it. Ugh, that was great. <laughs> um, my last like is the small detail of the spray paint on the penguin enclosure wall, um, where it was the Flipper and Eve, not Flipper and Steve, which 
was just so funny to me because like <laughs> i i don't know quite how to make this comparison but it's like it's it's the anti-gay agenda put onto penguins and it's just funny but like i'm not it, sounding funny right now it wasn't flipper like that's the whole thing like it, it you know it's flipper and eve not flipper and steve well it wasn't flipper either so and here we are what did you like about the episode joe I liked how this episode is a great example of how thankless Leslie's job can be. We know from the beginning of the episode that she's been working hard on many different zoo promotions, and we don't see any allusion to anyone saying something positive about any of those. But as we all know from life, as soon as people don't like something, you know, they're quick to speak up. And, and they do. They bombard Leslie with negativity. And I think it's just a good reminder for all of us not to be so careless with negativity, but to approach life with some empathy and remember to be kind to people. You know, the person that you're dealing with may seem rude to you, but they may have had 10 awful customers before you and are having the worst day of their life. You know, I think it's a good reminder of how Leslie maintains her hopeful outlook and her optimism in the face of a job that so often just beats her down. And this has been a bonus. Be nice to someone. Brought to you by Joe Patterson and it really, friends. It really has. <laughs> Look at us being all nice. <laughs> With that accent. Look at us being all nice. Calm day nast. And there's your little shoulder thing again. <laughs> I also liked Leslie's quote. The thing about youth culture is I don't understand it. That made me so happy. It's a, such a great line. Same, Leslie. <laughs> I liked Leslie's reaction to Donna's first line in this episode because it is also my reaction to Donna in this episode because she is here and she's Donna and that makes me happy. Oh, long live Donna. I also like, and we mentioned this a little bit before, one thing that Parks and Rec does so well is cast amazing villains and really all across the spectrum of villainy. You sort of got the the just outright hated villain that is Marsha Langman. You've got sort of the foil slash nemesis villain that is Jeremy Jam, mm. where he is sort of the Joker to Leslie's Batman. And then you've got Paul Rudd's Bobby Newport, who is not an evil character per se, but he is cast in opposition to Leslie. And the the conflict in his plot comes not so much from the fact that he is evil, but from the fact that he is, you know, just foolish and, and bumbling. Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport. So yeah, I do love... Parks and Rec's ability to create these villains and of course have to mention the Tammies as well um, mm. they're just incredible incredible villains all the actors just perfectly portray them in ways that make you feel real frustration or bring to mind people that you've encountered in real life and I think Marsha Langman is probably the best example of this especially I, I don't know about for you but for me growing up in you know conservative Christian circles and, and stuff like that uh, I can definitely think of several people who get brought to mind when I see Marsha on screen oh yeah that's a that's a pretty easy jump Yep. She's the perfect representation of what happens when faith is weaponized as a means mm -hmm. to legislate and enforce morality. And this is perfectly captured in Marsha's delivery of the line, when gays marry, it ruins marriage for the rest of us. Which is so fascinating because, spoiler alert, moving forward, they kind of portray her husband like he is gay. Yes, like he is closeted. And, uh, and I, I think that that's just sort of the ultimate, you know... Uh, backhand to Marsha. Yep. But she is just a fantastic, fantastic villain. I liked Leslie only knowing one sentence of Poker Face. <laughs> I mean, same. It, it's such a great representation of white people at parties and gatherings, especially at weddings. I don't know if I've mentioned this, Joy, but for a good probably five, six years, I did wedding films as a side business. Of course you did. 
I've filmed many, many different receptions and dances um, and things like that. And there are very obvious trends at white people weddings. And, and I, I love all these people. I had, you know, I've had great fun. This is not poking at, at this is not poking fun at anyone in particular. But there's definitely a general trend of white people when they get out on the dance floor and they're they're feeling it. They know like one or two sentences to every song and then that's it. The best yeah. example of this is the song Sweet Caroline. Sweet you know, Caroline. Yeah. Na, na, na. Yep. That's so without fail, every time I would film a wedding, this would happen. That song would play. Everyone would be like, oh, this is my song. <laughs> and then they'd get out on the dance floor. They'd be, yeah, you know, they got their drinks, they're dancing. And then they, it gets to the chorus and everyone just roars that line, you know, sweet Caroline. <laughs> And then it would go from that high volume, everybody yelling, to just like, (laughs) because no one knows that song. All they know is that one line in the chorus. And I would always just laugh so hard while I was filming because I could I could predict that it would happen exactly how it would go. And every time that's how it would go. And then my last like is Anne sticking up for herself and not just letting Andy back into her life when he pulls that whole stunt with the with the suit. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good for you, Anne, because, you know, she went from someone in season one who, you know, was codependent in her relationship with Andy, who put up with way too much from him. And now she's putting her foot down and it's good to see. Joy, what did you dislike about this episode? I did not like that. Like the whole segment during the wedding ceremony when the kid was like, are they making babies? And the zookeeper is like, not those two. Those are both boy penguins. But he stood there during the entire ceremony. He could have said something. Like when you play at an event like this, it's not just like, oh, surprise, we're going to do this today. No, there's like publicity around this. There's permissions you have to ask for. Somebody along the line would have said, oh, I mean, good luck with that. These are both boy penguins. (laughs) but no yeah at some stage he could have spoken up and be like oh um yeah these are both dudes but at the same time just given his general appearance i mean he's got a soul patch that's roughly the size (laughs) like a playing card (laughs) he definitely seems like the kind of person that he would just be just chill and and just go along with the whole thing is the size of a man's soul patch (laughs) indicative of something like the bigger it is the less aware i don't know Uh, i think having a soul patch period is indicative of something and why would it be called a soul patch if it's on your chin is your soul in your chin or is it s-o-l-e because it's the only patch of hair on your chin oh (laughs) i think that's giving a little bit too much credit to soul patch culture in general i i I think it is s-o-u-l and i don't know why I love that after the zookeeper is like, no, those are both boy penguins. Everyone kind of gasps and then April's like, well, I think it's awesome. And then Leslie's like, (laughs) still, I couldn't have asked for better weather. (laughs) Like, of all the comebacks. Like, nice redirect, Leslie. Nice redirect. What a great pivot. I did not understand why Ron was delivering Marsha Langman to Leslie's office. And why was he in a suit? Like, when Leslie walked in that day and she had the whole interaction with Donna where Donna's like, oh, you look fancy. And Leslie's like, yeah, I'm a guest of honor at a party tonight. Donna was sitting at the front desk. Mm. First of all, why is Donna at the front desk? Second of all, why wouldn't Donna have brought Marsha back? Why was Ron bringing Marsha back? Because Ron just stays in his office. But I guess April wasn't there to run defense yet. So True. I'm just very confused by that whole thing. And Ron was back in a suit, and that just made me sad. Yeah. What did you not like about this episode? My first dislike is, why on earth would Leslie need to be the first responder to someone on fire in a park? That is a really good question. Not the fire department, not paramedics. No, Leslie is really the number one person that we need to deal with this. Oh, you just curled up. You doing okay there, buddy? (laughs) In the show notes, uh, you can't see this. Um, The only way that you're probably ever going to see things like this is uh, if we start, you know, building a following on Patreon and we launch an actual website for the show in which we upload all our show notes because I have just like a full line of just smashing the keyboard before I... Hold on. Let me try to read it. 
Dissolution snit in the ear pigeons. How did I do? Did I did I encompass your anger properly, or should I try it in a more guttural voice? That was Let's beautiful. Dissolved in the pigeons. That was a little more Russian. <laughs> oh my! God. Let's see. I could I could try it in um in your in your white human <laughs> wedding voice. The soft that, no, that oh, I wasn't in your white girl voice, that, but it was That fine. just went back to like angry Scandinavian housewife, which is what the first one sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, welcome so to my good. voice that is angry Scandinavian housewife. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, friends, today we learned that when you mash on your keyboard, it sounds either Russian or Scandinavian. <laughs> this has been your moment of random uh, learning with Joy and Joe. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. My stomach hurts. <laughs> <laughs> now you know how I felt when you yelled Leslie's entire email. I was laughing so hard I almost puked. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> See, that was beautiful. That was so beautiful. That was inspired. But yes, uh, back to my dislike. Why is this happening? To me, I don't get to live in a world anymore where I'm not just noticing pigeons in every single episode of Parks and Recreation. When Leslie and Mark are having their super awkward DTR, there's a pigeon in one shot that's clearly fake, and in another angle, there's one that's clearly real. Why? Bobby Newport would eliminate <laughs> all pigeons if you voted for him. I, if he'd get rid of the pigeons, I'd vote for Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport doesn't respect the wildlife. <laughs> my next dislike is that uh, I have to give my girl Leslie some life coaching here. When Marsha asks if she's married, Leslie basically bears her soul and gives Marsha way too much information. Like she kind of goes slippery in that slope. hole. Well, I don't know. I mean, not right now, but I have plans. But you know, my dating life isn't good, and I'm you well, know I'm sad. Just focusing on my career, <laughs> Leslie. You're in the presence of an enemy. Play your cards closer to the vest, girl. You're giving her way too much. And then my last dislike for this episode is Leslie delivering the penguins to Iowa herself. Nothing about this seems safe. The penguins are not in cages or carriers. They're strapped into car seats. She's misting them with water. Um, nothing about this seems safe. Those penguins are definitely dead now. All right, well, that's it for likes and dislikes. So now it's time for the coronation of the beautiful rule-breaking moth, the segment in which we choose one specific thing that was the breakout star of the episode. Joy, what's your beautiful rule-breaking moth for Pawnee Zoo? I never thought I would say this, but Derek, because of one specific dialogue section. So when Derek and Ben and April want to meet Leslie because she's now their hero um, they unveil the poster and Leslie's like oh my gosh who made this and then April Derek and Ben are like we did and Leslie goes how April goes Photoshop Leslie goes huh and then Derek just goes computers and Leslie's like oh <laughs> like I have so many discussions in my life where like I'm I'm a techie person and a huge part of my job has been to translate techie into normal human so I have such high respect for how fast that dialogue went and for how smart Derek was just to be like, computers. Like, oh, of course you made that on a computer. That was such a great exchange. Oh, it was beautiful. Who or what was your beautiful rule-breaking moth? Mine is Andy. Andy? Yes. He's not in much of this episode, but what scenes he does have are just perfectly cringe-inducing and hilarious. His showing up to <laughs> Anne's house in the suit talking about the job he clearly does not have. You know, uh, just sitting in his cubicle. And how much he's maturing in the span of probably like four days. Yep, for sure. That's how it happens. <laughs> and then him going back to the pit and him talking about the hardest part about living in the pit is keeping his suit pressed. <laughs> 
and the rats. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, partially inspired by the last time you did this and by our Bobby Newports. Now it's time for the shaming of the Jerry, the part of the show where we shame one particular thing for bringing the episode down or being unnecessarily annoying. How could you? So what is your Jerry for this episode, Joy? Marsha. I mean, I know she's I know she's the antagonist and all, but it's frustrating to me that she isn't open to any reason whatsoever. And the justice part of me is just super frustrated that she got Joan Calamezzo on her side before the recording, and nobody told Leslie that. And Marsha can't just appreciate cuteness. I mean, come on. They're penguins. They're Mm. penguins. That's it. Come on, Marsha. I think that's interesting, too, because, uh, you know, we've been talking about sort of villain archetypes and and things like that. And I've seen this before. I think that Marsha really fits the villain archetype of the zealot. That is a Mm. character that is obsessed with a personal mission, a religious crusade, or perhaps justice itself. This villain believes that their cause is just and that they are in the right. They will use any tool, no matter how brutal, to shape the world around them. They mercilessly impose their own perspectives upon those who do not fit into their view of the perfect world. This villain acts as a fantastic foil for self-righteous heroes and reminds players what happens when righteousness isn't tempered with compassion. Wow. So I think that Marsha is the perfect uh, zealot archetype, which would make sense as to why there's no compromise, compassion, or any willingness to see any different point of view. That makes so much sense. Who's your Jerry, Joe? My Jerry is April and her relationship with Derek and Ben. Mm. So this is the point where I struggle for a while to like or make sense of April as a character. You know, for the the bulk of the show, I love April as a character. She's one of my favorite characters. But for an episode that focuses on the topic of same-sex marriage, her odd relationship with Derek and Ben comes across as strange. Yeah, it totally does. It's just so painfully clear to me that she doesn't really care for them and they don't really care for her. There's Mm. nothing that's genuine about their relationship at all. And that just makes it so awkward when they're in scenes together. April is someone who is fiercely loyal to the few people that she lets in her inner circle. And she typically demands the same emotional honesty and commitment from others. For example, in the beginning of her relationship with Andy, she's shown to be very upset when he doesn't say, I love you back. It's too much of a suspension of disbelief for me to buy into her relationship with Derek and Ben. The April that we come to know and love, I feel like comes across like an anarchist, but it's an act to cover the fact that she cares very deeply. This April is just an anarchist. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that was one of the things that was hardest for me to get on board with. Basically, like you just said, like when I started watching Parks and Rec, I started with season one and one of my friends was like, oh, no, start with season two. (laughs) And then it started with this. And I was like, "Okay, um, why would I watch this? So confused. But don't worry, friends, it does get better. Hold on. I mean, I think we are doing a pretty good job of of being balanced, you know, but we've mentioned and and people have actually mentioned, you know, come on, guys, like ease up on the show a little bit. Listen, it's from a place of love. Like, I, I feel like we should just reiterate that. We are both super fans of Parks and Recreation. We love the show so much, but we are also, we are filmmakers, we are creators, we work in the world of storytelling and and production. And so, you know, I think part of the appeal of what we do is approaching the storytelling and the uh, elements of the show with the critical eye that we do. It's not to just rip the show apart and, and, you know, say we're so much better than this. We're so, you know, we're so superior to this. We love the show. But also there were definitely elements that didn't work so well in the earlier seasons. And, uh, and we're just calling attention to those before we later celebrate how they pivoted from those and eventually incorporated it into a incredibly smooth and uh overall quality show yeah and i think our our critique of this like joe said comes from a place of caring but i think that's part of any good evaluation process is also being able to look back and be like where have we come from Mm. how did we get here what worked what didn't work 
and figuring out what to do better. And this show did such a good job of figuring out what to do better. So props. Yeah, I believe it was Socrates who said the unexamined life is not worth living. Ooh. I think the unexamined show is not worth podcasting. And this has been a philosophical moment brought to you by Joe and Joy. <laughs> we debate philosophy and we loudly give voice to smashed keyboard sentences and things like that. Bobby Newport doesn't it's... know how to talk about philosophy. <laughs> I would love for this to just become a running segment where you are <laughs> creating like one long negative ad against Bobby Newport. <laughs> That's fine. I can do that. And then like at the end of our last season, when we're wrapping up Parks and Rewatch, I will go back and I will make a super cut that is just like a four hour long <laughs> negative ad against Bobby Newport. <laughs> Bobby Newport doesn't even know who Socrates is. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and now it's time for the awarding of the Little Sebastians, the ceremony in which we rate each episode against the entire catalog of Parks and Recreation episodes by awarding it between one and five Little Sebastians. One obviously being the lowest and five representing perfection, the most magical episodes of all time. <laughs> So, Joy, how many Lil Sebastians do you award Pawnee Zoo? I'm going with two. Um, I definitely liked more than I disliked about this episode. Like, I was actually kind of in awe of how much I liked, but I'm still not wowed by it. So, sticking with two. How about you? I'm with you there. I give it a two. There is a lot that is great about this episode. With the start of season two, it feels even more like the Parks and Rec that we're used to. But for me, there was just too much of April slash Derek slash Ben and not enough Ron or Donna. And that brings the episode down for me. And now it's time to ask the all-important question. Where, Where in the, the world, world is John, John Ralphio? Yeah, we will get it someday. I kind of love that it's terrible. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> So, Joy, what do you think John Ralphio is up to during the events of Pawnee Zoo? So, considering the the small fact that they shot the penguin enclosure scenes in an abandoned part of the zoo, I'm going to go with he was homeless again because John <laughs> Ralphio. So, I think he was camping out in one of the enclosures. Okay. So, which enclosure do you think it was? Like, what animal used to live there? The thing that just keeps coming up in my head is is the lion enclosure. Okay. That. I don't know why, but he's probably in because don't don't lion enclosures usually have like caves or something. Yeah, they do. He's probably yeah. in one of those caves. Okay, that makes sense. I like yeah. that. Where do you think John Ralphio is? I think he's pitching a new fragrance to Dennis Feinstein mm. called Up Dog. Okay. I don't. Okay. Why Up Dog? <laughs> am I supposed? Am I missing something? I mean, it's a fragrance called Updog. Is there an innuendo there that I'm missing? I don't get it. Updog. You keep saying it the same way, and I still don't get it. Uh, it's Updog. You're not helping me understand it. Maybe you're just not asking the right question. Um, as opposed to down dog? No, it's it's Updog. Okay, I'm going to Google Updog. No, because... no, no. No, no, no. Don't Google it. You have to ask me. Why do I have to ask you? Because this is how it works. What am I supposed to be asking? I mean, it, it's sort of obvious. It's sort of right in front of you. Sheltered homeschooler? I don't know what I'm... I don't... <laughs> no, I don't know what I'm missing, and I'm scared of what I'm missing. It's up dog. Just ask the obvious question. What is up dog? Nothing much. What's up with you? Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I am... <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold on. Do you know what this moment needs? What? Dissolution. <laughs> I'm quiet, Ross. That. Oh, my goodness. It's so, how I feel. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you've never heard that. You've never right heard now. that joke before. No. <laughs> I almost got it with what I said the first time, I though. I know. 
You were so close. It's like, why are you being unresponsive? So I think that uh, John Ralphio is pitching a new fragrance to Dennis Feinstein called Updog. Now you know the rest. John Ralphio is then transported to the hospital for accidental crossbow-related injuries. Seems absolutely reasonable. <laughs> yeah. And now it's time for Johnny Karate's Karate Moves to Success, an inspirational segment in which we apply the karate moves to success in our own lives. Joy, what would you like to karate chop this week? Mm, I both love it and hate it. So the hate side of me wants to karate chop meal planning because I just did like a whole big meal plan um, since we're only shopping like once or once a week or once every week and a half. And I've realized like one of my favorite questions to ask people, but it also makes me the most frustrated is asking, how do you know what to make for dinner? And the answer I get over and over and over again is, I don't know. I called my mom and I'm like, mom, you've done this for so long. How do you know? And she's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I've asked people on multiple continents and they all are like, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, but why does nobody know? <laughs> I can't handle it. I can't handle That's, it. That does seem like a very sick thing to want to karate chop. I'm right. pretty sure I've had the same conversation with my wife. Somebody just tell me what you want. That's all I'm asking. Just give me some certainty <laughs> in my life. Ugh. Yes. What do you want to karate chop, Joe? Well, before I reveal what I'm karate chopping this week, I do want to give a little update to my karate chop from last week. Oh, man. It wasn't effective. People are posting more snake ball related content than ever. Mm. Yeah, I listened back to our episode and I got anxious all over again when you started talking mm. about the snake ball. Just stop it. No one wants to see that stuff. So anyway, this week I would like to karate chop my brain for running amok and trying to convince me to do crazy things when I'm trying to sleep. Uh, I'm mm. working a lot these days with all church things being online and video and, and stuff like that. I need my rest. And the other night after a very long day editing worship service videos, my head finally hits the pillow. And right up until that point, I'm tired. I'm ready to just black out and go to sleep. My head hits the pillow and instantly my brain was like, let's go that's the worst and it was like hey you know that thing you did like a year and a half ago where you wrote a book and you published it we need to do that again now is not the time <laughs> no stop it brain so joy who would you like to be nice to this week um when i this was hard for me this week so the first thing i wrote was hand lotion because you know with all of us washing our hands so much lotion's really coming in clutch oh, and yeah. then and then I saw what Joe wrote, and then I was like, oh, I should probably be a little more thoughtful than just <laughs> hand lotion. And then I was like, crap, what do I do? Ugh. And then I realized, you know, I had an experience yesterday that was such a delightfully human moment that encouraging other people to do it, too, would be great. Um, so I was FaceTiming with my, my nieces, who are in uh, North Carolina, and I had, I, I love Legos, so I had my, my minifigure accessory po box out and I was making funny little minifigures and showing them to my nieces and it got to this point where I was like I made the chef man and they're like show us the chef and so I made a chef and I gave him fire in one hand and a chicken in the other <laughs> and I was like it's fire chicken man Aww. oh and my then goodness they got inspired and had this moment where they're like, we're going to build a building for the for the fire chicken chef. And so then they stole the phone. And so then we went in their room and they closed the door and like they just built Legos with me for a while. Oh, and it my was goodness. it was just one of those delightfully human moments that was like, even though we're we're far away, I'm still able to be with. And that was that was so calming to me. So my encouragement um, for everyone this week to be nice to someone is to figure out how to keep having delightfully human moments in new ways since you know physical distancing is present i love that there you go joe who do you want to be nice to this week i just want to give a massive shout out to everyone who's creating things mm. during this pandemic everyone who's using you know stay at home and shelter in place not as an excuse to just sort of curl up and be afraid, but are actually 
still expressing themselves. You know, so many creators out there are facing massive discouragement, especially people who work in creative fields because, you know, concerts, shows, all those things are getting canceled. Their livelihoods are being threatened, but they're still making music. They're still making videos, art, concerts, and they're coming up with new ways to do things. I, I've seen, you know, Zoom painting lessons and, and things like that. Just the, the new ways that people are innovating to still make things and, and how they're channeling this time to produce actually more inspiration to do things we've never seen before. It's just really, really inspiring. And as a, a creative person, you know, as a musician and, and things like that, you know, sometimes when there's big, heavy stuff going on, it, it shuts down inspiration and it can be tough to to keep that spark alive because inspiration at, at best is kind of a fickle mistress and capturing it, it it can be hard enough at the best of times so for everyone who's still doing that out there in, in creative fields to keep us entertained to keep us inspired i just really want to give you a giant thumbs up this week y'all know we're real fun people right because <laughs> we are if you want to see our faces as we're making this really fun content, come join us on Patreon. Come be a Pawnee Ranger, a Pawnee Goddess, or a Swanson. Bobby Newport will never be a Swanson. <laughs> By the time we get you, this supercut is going to be like 25 <laughs> hours long. <laughs> Bobby Newport doesn't like us on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Rewatch Parks. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Bobby Newport doesn't know how to end a show. <laughs> we have that in Bobby common Newport. with Bobby. All right, everyone, if you are interested in keeping up with the show, like Joy said, you can support us on Patreon. You can follow us on Instagram at Rewatch Parks. And you can also shoot us an email at Rewatch Parks at gmail.com no matter what way you reach out no matter what you want to reach out to us about we just love to hear from you don't forget to rate us as well yes the number one way that you can help us right now is to go over and leave us a five-star rating and review on itunes that would just be so cool also want to give a shout out to the stitcher crew oh my goodness we showed up on one of their web pages for um tv recap podcast and suddenly stitcher took off yeah stitcher went from being near the bottom of the list of apps people use most to listen to parks and rewatch and it shot to the top even eclipsing apple so it's amazing i will confess i've never listened to a podcast on stitcher but we see you stitcher crew holding it down well done stitcher proud of you all right, I am Joe Patterson. You can find me on Instagram at the Joe Patterson. Joy, as always, thank you so much for deep diving and discussing with me. It has been a blast. We did it. Bye. There was no. I, th <laughs> I was like, Joy, you can't. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like one more thing or something. I don't know. I don't. I just lost it, and then I was like, where it is? Where is it? Where it is? It's always there. <laughs> Bobby Newport has one more message. Bye. <laughs>